And that was... <laughs> You've faced the facts. But are you ready for some illustrious presents? Well, get ready for the illustrious Fact Show presents. Presents. The illustrious Fact Show presents. With your illustrious host, Ben Volchok. Please make him welcome. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Illustrious Fact Show Presents. I am me, your host, Ben Volchok. Each week, we present a different program from the archives of radio history, as well as new programs that have yet to be aired. This week, The Illustrious Fact Show presents Nexus. One of the BBC's fascinating science programs from the so-called science period of radio broadcasting in 1962, Nexus was a six-part miniseries presented by renowned physicist Sir Xavier Perriment and covered the interconnectedness of all facets of the universe, from how triangles work to the evolution of the string bean. It was critically acclaimed and even won two BAFTAs, despite being a radio program. Today's episode is episode 4 of Nexus, entitled Theories of Plim, and attempts to explain exactly what Plim is and how it relates to our lives. So sit back and prepare to be scintillated as the illustrious fact show presents Nexus. Plim. It's all around us. Touch a tree, there is plim. Look at the ground, there also is plim. But what is plim? From the early moments of the 18th century, the greatest minds struggled to uncover exactly what plim was. Luckily, in the late 18th century, some even greater minds came together and found out exactly what plim was. Then, in the early 19th century, all records of exactly what Plim was were lost. Since then, multiple theories have emerged as to exactly what Plim is. But it's still all around us, and it's really quite fascinating. Hello, my name is Xavier Paramount, and tonight on Nexus I will attempt to explain that part of the universe that is Plim. Plim, in simple mathematical terms, means probability limitation. And in difficult non-mathematical terms, it means the ways in which the universe unfolds and collides in seemingly unobvious ways to create certain moments which for some reason or another cannot demonstrably exist within the same plane of dimension, but which manage to quite comfortably exist within that same plane of dimension exactly because they limit the spheres of probability. Or, in other words, because of Plim. But how does it work? Well, that is what we will explain today. I'm standing now in a rainforest located in the northern part of the Amazon. Perhaps the most concentrated location of Plim, according to most sources, including myself. 
That is because every droplet of water in this populated ecosystem falls thanks to Plim. Thank you, Plim. Drip, drip, drip. Even the driest seasons of this rainforest contain more Plim than any other place in the world combined. We'll come back to this rainforest a bit later. Mathematicians throughout history have worked alone and together to create equations that attempt to approximate what PLIM is and how PLIM works. Some of these equations include x plus iy 38 minus square root of z alpha equals 11 0 0.f equals 2.5 pi open bracket division symbol close bracket and 1 over 5 equals 7. All of these equations were thought up by Belgian mathematician Arco Vindemars in the late 16th to early 17th century. While they don't fully encompass what Plim is, they are the closest anyone has come to recreating the secrets of Plim in a mathematical format. The closest, that is, until now. Richard Krabs, a PhD student at the University of Birmingham, has been working on a mathematical formula of his own, using the principles outlined in Vindemars' seminal 1603 text, Here are several mathematical approximations of PLIM, but applying them to scientific advances from the past decade. I went to Birmingham to talk to him and to find out his progress on the PLIM formula. Hello, Richard. Hello, Sir Pediment. I believe you're working on a mathematical formula to describe PLIM. That's right. For the past three years, I've been studying past attempts at coming up with mathematical formulae. I've been making some attempts of my own. It must be hard work. Oh, incredibly. Definitely hard work. Now, how far have you progressed with your attempts in these past three years? Well, I believe I have made significant progress on the postulation of a mathematical formula to describe PLIM. I've been through about five dozen notebooks in this time. That is rather a lot, isn't it? <laughs> ah, yes it is. And can you share with us the extent of your formula which you have come up with in the amount of time you've been spending on it during your PhD? Certainly. <clears throat> Six. Astonishing. Thank you. How likely do you think it that you will finish this mathematical formula before the submission date of your thesis? Well, I don't think it's at all likely, actually, no. <laughs> well, some might say that is a rather unfortunate example of plim at work, then. <laughs> some might say that's indeed superiment. I'm back in the rainforest again. There's an almost serene nature about the place thanks to the high percentage of plim that this rainforest is imbued with. There's not much rain here now, but there's definitely a lot of plim. But it's not just the rain which provides plim to this area. Take, for example, the woodpecker. Take it. Hold it in your hands. Stroke it. Stroke the woodpecker. Do you feel that? Do you feel how rough the feathers are? Woodpeckers get such rough feathers from pecking so much. Peck, peck, peck. They do peck a lot. And that there is one of the purest examples of plim known to mankind. The conversion of physical labor from the beak 
into a coarseness of surface of the feather is caused by plim. But why? Let's talk to zoologist and biologist Roger Dorman, presenter of Nature Finders. Tell me, Roger, what is there that's interesting about woodpeckers? Well, the interesting thing about woodpeckers, of course, is that they don't actually peck wood. They peck trees. Is that the only interesting thing? Actually, no. There are plenty of other interesting things about woodpeckers, but that is perhaps the most interesting thing about woodpeckers. Hmm. Now, what can you tell me about plim and its relation to the feathers of the woodpecker? Plim and its relation to the feathers of the woodpecker. What a fascinating subject, Sir Perriment. You don't have to act surprised. We gave you a brief before you agreed to appear on the show. All right. So what can you tell me about plim and its relation to the feathers of the woodpecker? Well, it's really rather simple in a roundabout sort of way. The energy expended by the woodpecker's head movements, along with the friction from the beak hitting the trees, cause tiny shocks in the roots of the feathers. When the feather roots feel these shocks, they automatically put up a sort of feather shield. And this is what induces the roughness? Actually, no. You see, the shields only go up at the point of impact of the beak with the tree. However, when the beak is being retracted, the shields then go down. And of course, the woodpecker's beak moves at an extraordinarily large speed. 4.4 kilometers a second, in fact. That's right. And it is the frequency of the shields being put up and retracted, which in turn creates that callous roughness amidst the feathers. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Then this is caused by plim. It's not so much caused by plim as perhaps influenced by plim. Or more accurately, it is plim that oversees the process, much like a foreman would in a factory. Thank you very much, Roger. Not at all. We do not expect a bird's feathers to be rough. We expect them to be soft. The North Amazonian woodpecker is a bird. It has feathers. They are rough. Not so likely, is it? But yet, it happens. The limitations on probability are at work. This is the essence of plim. I'm standing now in the famous Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino, Texas. These mines are the only place in the world where there is no plim. None. No plim at all. Zero. Zero plim. And yet why am I standing here if there is no plim besides contractual obligation? Well, quite simply, it is the absence of plim in these mines which can tell us just as much as the presence of it can elsewhere. No one knows exactly when the uncharacteristic plimlessness was first encountered, but it was first brought to the attention of authorities in 1832 by a young miner by the name of John Boots, who, when striking his axe, realized that it made a sort of dull thudding sound instead of the usual crisp ping to which he is accustomed in other mines. Boots had worked in the Jacobean mines for roughly two months, but it was only on this one occasion that the thought became fully realized in his mind, and he was clever enough to connect this alteration in sound with the non-existence of plim. The realization nearly killed Boots, as the shock of the unusual sound made his feet grow weak and he stumbled from a high ledge. Fortunately, only his legs and lower ribs were broken, but his spirit lived on. 
and when he had recovered enough at the nearby hospital, he contacted the local scientific authorities, who immediately campaigned the council to cease work in the mines lest they disrupt any patterns or processes down there that caused this perplexing plimless atmosphere. On the 6th of June 1834, a group of physicians, chemists, biologists and other assorted scientists from all around the state gathered in an expedition led by prominent geologist Professor Sam Hartwell to investigate what it was down there that generated this privation of plim. The expedition lasted three whole years and two whole months and seven whole days and five whole hours before funding ran out and the group was forced to abandon the project without having made any meaningful discoveries into what made the Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino completely and utterly plimless. I spoke to Professor Hartwell's great-great-grandson Trevor Hartwell, a motor oil salesman from Indiana, about the failed expedition. Good afternoon, Trevor. Howdy. So, what can you tell us about your great-great-grandfather? Oh yeah, my great-great-grandpappy, he were a prolific man. We talk about him all the time in our family. And what sorts of things do you talk about? Well, he came up with a terrific recipe for cheese strudel. Really terrific. I see. And what about his expedition to the Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino, Texas? The, the what? Uh, sorry, I don't know what you mean. The Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino, Texas. The famous Jacobean mines, the only place in the world where there is no plim. Sorry, Phil, I got no idea what you're talking about. But if you want a cheap deal on motor oil, I'm your guy. It turns out that Trevor Hartwell, the motor oil salesman from Indiana, was not in fact the great-great-grandson of Professor Sam Hartwell. We did, however, then locate Professor Hartwell's actual great-great-grandson, Trevor Hartwell, the motor oil salesman from Alabama. I spoke to him about the expedition. Good afternoon, Trevor. Howdy. Now, just to confirm, you are Trevor Hartwell, the great-great-grandson of Professor Sam Hartwell, the geologist who led the expedition into the Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino, Texas, in 1834, in the pursuit of the knowledge of what made those mines plimless? Yep. Very good. So, what can you tell us about him? Oh, yeah, my great-great-grandpappy, he were a prolific man. We talk about him all the time in our family. And what sorts of things do you talk about? Well, he came up with a terrific recipe for cheese strudel. Really terrific. I see, and... The... In fact, the recipe survives to this day, and you can buy Alabama Hartwell's terrific cheese strudel oh, sorry, from... there's no promotion on the BBC. Oh, sorry, fella, I ain't used to that. Not to worry. And what about his expedition to the Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino, Texas? Oh yeah, the expedition. Well, the way the story goes, my great-great-grandpappy, the great-great-professor, was asked by the Texas Science Committee to lead a group of scientists down into the mines to try and find out why there wasn't any plim down there. Now, he was overjoyed. Plim had been his life's work and obsession. Plim, that is, and rocks. Plim and rocks and strudel. And so he got together the best darn scientists in all of Texas to come with him, and he packed a suitcase full of cheese strudel, and off he went down them mines. For years and years, that group of scientists made measurements, took readings, and calculated their asses off, but to no avail. They couldn't figure out why there wasn't any plim. Worst of all, he forgot all about the cheese strudel, and after the expedition were cancelled, he opened his suitcase to find a congealed mass of rotten foodstuffs. He was so ashamed that he moved here to Alabama. 
And that story was passed down by my great-great-grandpappy Sam to my great-grandpappy Sam Jr. to my grandpappy Arthur to my pappy Lance and then down to me. How harrowing, Trevor. Thank you for sharing. Your great-great-grandfather must have been a brave man. Yeah, it was a tragic story, Sir Perriman, but my great-great-grandpappy was humble enough to tell it to his family and to teach us a moral. What moral is that? Don't forget about cheese strudel. Thank you for your time, Trevor. Not a problem, Sir Perriman. By the way, if you want a cheap deal on motor oil, I'm your guy. When the Jacobean Mines Project was abandoned in 1837, no further work was conducted on them, as there were few funding bodies who saw it as a worthwhile endeavor. Many researchers tried and failed to apply for grants to investigate the plumelessness of the caves and mines, but were rejected every time. And not only Texan scientists battled to be awarded funding. Quite soon, scientists from other states, and indeed other countries, attempted day after night after day after night to receive any sort of monetary support in their scientific research. In fact, it became almost as much of a task to apply for funding as it was to uncover the secret of the lack of plim itself. And so, this lack of plim in the mines remained a persistent mystery for years and years, until five years ago, when a group of seismologists in Eritrea made a significant breakthrough, which was this. The temperature down the mines is always constant. It's always 19 degrees centigrade down there. And so, if the temperature is always constant, then the interaction between temperature and sound is falsified. And therefore, the sound vibrations can't work in the same way as when there's a variable temperature like everywhere else on Earth. While this does not fully encapsulate the reasons for which there is no plim in the Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino, Texas, it does at least diminish the mystery, and provide a major breakthrough into uncovering the reasons for which there is no plim down there. But there is still much work to be done. I should add that the lack of plim in these mines has caused a massive influx of tourism in the past 22 years at least. Millions flock to the underground passages contained within this land to experience this plimlessness, which, in a flourish and a twist of irony, is in itself an act of purest plim. There is, of course, still no plim contained within the catacombs of the San Pellegrino mines, but the mines themselves have caused great, great deals of plim. Can you guess where I'm standing now? I'm standing in the world's largest plate factory. Well done if you guessed it, and better luck next time if you didn't. There's no prizes, because it's not that kind of program, but perhaps you have won the respect of your own mind. And that's the most difficult type of respect to win. So well done if you did, and better luck next time if you didn't. You still have my respect. The world's largest plate factory is located in Calcutta, India and was only very recently constructed from a design by Patrick Lementart Johnson, a young factory designer from Peckham, London. It is here, at the world's largest plate factory, where they make the world's largest plate. When designing this factory, the forces of plim were carefully studied by Johnson to ensure the factory operates to maximum efficiency. Now, Johnson is one of the leading advocates for plim design theory a theory which incorporates the tenets of PLIM into architecture, construction and engineering. 
so that all buildings, not just factories, can achieve their greatest potential. Some structures devised by Johnson include the fire station in northeastern Milan, the coin mint of Nagasaki, the beach towel souvenir shop of Brighton, the level crossing supervision tower in Brisbane, the lepidoptery school in St. Petersburg, and what is currently the only blue lavatory in the city of Kandahar. These are only some of the buildings that Johnson has devised, and though they may all sound rather different, there is one thing that unites them all. Every one of Johnson's erections was designed keeping in mind how Plym works. And though of course no one really knows how Plym works, there is at least a base understanding, which over the course of the program I hope I have been conveying to you. And this common thread of Plym, of course, is also in itself another brilliant example of the workings of Plym. In the case of the world's largest plate factory, however, it was more than just a simple question of integrating Plym with the design of the building. For of course, being a factory, it requires particular setups of machinery, to say the least. This distribution of conveyor belts, ceramic molds, enamel stations and other such elements of plate factories was carefully thought out by Johnson in conjunction of course with the various principles and manifestations of Plym. Here now is a short excerpt from the address that Johnson gave at the press conference that accompanied the official opening of the world's largest plate factory in 1959. Hello to everyone gathered here today. My name is Patrick Lementart Johnson. I am the designer of this plate factory. The practice of building buildings, and indeed designing buildings, is an ancient one. Of that there can be no doubt. But to build and design a building of this caliber is something else entirely. When I was given the task of building a factory that would be producing the world's largest plate, I had to carefully study the practices of other factories that produce slightly smaller plates. And indeed, the world's smallest plate factory in Western Alexandria, which not only produces the world's smallest plate, but also at the same time is the smallest factory in the world which produces plates. This coincidence was also one of the things I studied before I began making plans for this factory you are standing before today. I won't bore you with particular details on how I thought about the placement of every brick and every nail or which direction the conveyor belts need to face to produce optimal plate construction. But I will mention the way in which the ceiling inside the factory has been specifically built to the inverse proportions of the ceilings of a certain group of caves in America. So the energy of the factory can be multiplied rather than subtracted. When you have a chance, look up at the ceiling and you'll see exactly what I mean. I'd like to finish by offering some advice to everyone who will be involved with the factory. My advice to every worker in the factory is to keep in mind that for every action your hands make, there will be many other such actions that are taking place at the same time from all the other workers in the factory as well as outside the factory. And my advice to every foreman working in this factory is to observe 
the roughness of the feathers of the North Amazonian woodpecker and think about the movement of their beaks. This factory is the first of its kind and I hope it will be the first of many. Thank you. Patrick Lamentard Johnson there, the designer of the world's largest plate factory, at the press conference of the opening of that very factory. Note how seamlessly integrated the references to Prim are. Very remarkable indeed. What is remarkable also is that at the time of this press conference, Johnson was only 19 years old. Truly one of the great champions of the subject of Prim in the world today. Patrick Lamentard Johnson, we salute you. And so we have come full circle. I'm back now at the rainforest I was standing in at the beginning of the episode. The rainforest which is the most concentrated source of plim in the world, perhaps even in the entire universe. The trees from this forest get chopped down and are turned into paper that Richard Crabbs uses for his PhD notebooks. The trees from this forest are also chopped down to form the frames for the world's largest plate factory. The wood in the trees is pecked by the woodpeckers who get coarse feathers. And it is the drops in the rainforest which get absorbed into the ground and are deposited in a small stream nearby which flows on through the mighty Amazon River across through multitudes of bodies of water which thousands of years ago created the Jacobean mines of San Pellegrino, Texas. As you see, Plim is what unites all these disparate, otherwise unrelated elements of the universe. We look around us and there is so much to see. But for better or for worse, it is Plim which is at the nexus of them all. I have been Sir Xavier Perriment. This has been Nexus. And I hope I have educated you. Nexus was written and presented by Sir Xavier Perriment. Produced for BBC Studios by Nicholas Rebell. Edited by John Forbes White. Directed by Peter Potter Jr. And that was episode four of the brilliant 1962 science program, Nexus. Of course, since that program aired, we've pretty much figured out what Plim is, so you might have been laughing a bit at some of the anachronistic explanations. But keep in mind that in 1962, this was still groundbreaking science broadcasting. And as you can see, the world is full of connections, including the one you have made to the internet to listen to this show. Don't forget to be careful around the internet, everybody. See you next week for another episode of The Illustrious Fact Show Presents. The Illustrious Fact Show Presents was devised, written and performed by Ben Volchok. Keep up to date on facebook.com slash illustriousfacts and tune in again next week for another illustrious episode.